There's something <laughs> curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of TGP Nominal Extra. You're probably wondering why there is a special edition of TGP Nominal Extra. Well, it's something that has been planned for a few weeks actually. And we were waiting for what they call a transmission date of something that is actually up and coming before we worked out when this show was going to go out. Uh, It could have been part of our Christmas episode, but because of the time scale it wouldn't have fitted in so we've had to make a TGP nominal extra now what is this all about well a couple of years ago I watched a documentary on the BBC it's about Star Wars and I was really impressed by it so I put a post up on Twitter about the documentary and the guy who made the documentary actually responded to me and you know and basically said thank you for watching I'm glad you liked it that kind of stuff anyway I got talking with this guy and told him about the things that I do and when I go to conventions and I talk to um, some of the smaller players in the Star Wars universe and he seemed quite interested about it and said he would listen to the podcast and things like that anyway a couple of years later and out of the blue I get a message on Twitter from the same guy and he said to me we are resurrecting this documentary basically go back in and add extra interviews that didn't get included in the original and make it a feature length so instead of an hour long being about an hour and a half long and would I like to talk to him about it well I wasn't going to turn that down and he said well I'll come back to you when I know when it's going to be transmitted when it was going to be broadcast and uh, the rest is history so have a listen to this So joining me on the line, I have David Whiteley. How are you doing, sir? Hi, how are you, Mark? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of getting there, almost to the finish line. But I've been looking at some of your tweets lately, and it, it's like, oh, um, I'm, we're nearly there. We've nearly done it. And the thing we're talking about is you have a documentary coming out soon. Yeah, well, we've actually got two coming out the same night. So uh, a couple of years ago, we made a documentary, an hour-long documentary about the British people that made Star Wars. Uh, the Galaxy Britain built, went on BBC4, went on BBC World. People were very kind. <laughs> Fans liked it. Critics liked it, which was good. Mark Hamill tweeted about it, which was fantastic. So as a Star Wars fan as well, I'm like, this is fantastic. You know, we've spent almost two years trying to pull everything together on that one. So we had a 60-minute film. And I thought that with this December being the very end of the Skywalker saga, you know, I mean, I've I've never known anything other than Star Wars. You know, I was born on May the 4th, 1977, Star Wars Day in 77. Wow. And um, yeah, I know. People actually, people say to me, is that genuinely your birthday? Uh, Gareth Edwards said to me, uh, he said that he's never met anybody with such a Star Wars birthday. So it was, then again, it's luck of the draw, I suppose, when you're born. But anyway, so I, I, you know, I digress. But anyway, so we, we, so we made this film and I said, you know, with the with the end of the Skywalker saga coming up, wouldn't it be great if we we revisited that 
60-minute documentary and made it longer. I didn't quite know what I was letting myself in for when I said it, but make it 90 minutes, make it feature length. So we went back into the archives, the stuff we'd filmed, and we've made it longer. And we've also done three new interviews to go in it as well. So stories like we couldn't get all the stories about Roger Christian making all the weapons. The only one that made it in the original cut was kind of was the story about the lightsaber. So I went back and looked at how he made all the weapons. And then we had did a whole section on the London Symphony Orchestra and when they scored Star Wars with John Williams. And we got a couple of the guys, new interviews, who were the principals. They were the principal bassoonist, principal trombonist, who played on the original Star Wars score. And we're just blown away by it because they're telling us things like they did the first take and uh, John Williams went back into the mixing room. And as on playback, they all turned and looked at the screen. Of course, they'd never seen anything like it because, you know, this is the opening title. And of course, you got the, the, you know, the blockade runner being chased by the Star Destroyer. And of course, they're, they're blown away by it. So got that. And then we also spoke to a wonderful lady called Anne Skinner, who was continuity on Star Wars. So she was there for every single tape, every single shot in Tunisia and also Elstree Studios, writing all the, all the notes down and the continuity. So the BFI archive has all her stuff. He donated it to them. And we got permission to film her scripts with all her notes on. And including, you know, the, the wonderful speech, Mark, where we all know it, don't we, Star Wars fans, Obi-Wan Kenobi is explaining to Luke Skywalker in his homestead what the Force is all about and this is mm-hmm. your father's lightsaber, etc. And apparently Sir Alec Guinness had a bit of difficulty getting his head around that section. And we found some wonderful archive from Michael Parkinson's show back in 77 with Alec Guinness talking about how he, he was very enthralled by this script. He said it wasn't for him science fiction, he didn't think, but he was, it was a page turner. But he said the dialogue was a bit clunky. So, of course, we've juxtaposed this with a great bit of Anne's interview where she says when he helped Sir Alec with, obviously, George Lucas's permission, change the words around. And you see what it should have been and what it became. You know, she actually being very, you know, typically British and, and said, well, it wasn't a big deal. But, of course, we now think of it as a big deal because you've got you know, Sir Alec Guinness going through the script with Anne Skinner in the studio at Elstree and changing the script. And then we also got access to, I think some of them have been released before, but we got access to all of them. Her continuity Polaroid in the archive. Obviously, at the end of every take, she took a picture of Harrison Ford or Dave Prowse's Darth Vader or Carrie Fisher, etc., just so they would know what they were wearing for the next shot or with the next take or if it was a break in filming. So we got these Polaroids that have sort of been sort of hidden away in this archive in, in Hertfordshire. So we were able to film all these. We were able to kind of go back to our original vision of the 60-minute version and completely rework it. So it feels like a completely new film. So it's like the director's cut, if you like. So we've got that going out on the 16th of December. And you say there's another documentary as well. I think naively, I thought, oh, extending the galaxy Britain built, that won't be, that won't be too difficult. <laughs> of course, you, you're, un, you're unpicking work you've done. You're kind of breaking up the timeline of the edit. And um, one of my best friends who I make these things with, uh, Matt Wildash, he's also, he's the director, but he also, he's also the picture editor. So he had to unpick it all. And uh, we slotted new bits in. Another friend of mine said to me, a friend of mine, Rick, he said, well, wouldn't it be great if we did a film about uh, Palatoy and Star Wars toys and, yeah. and what Palatoy did for the UK. And at first, I was a bit sceptical. I thought, well, I really, are people, I mean, I, you know, I've still got loads of my Star Wars toys. So I thought, is there really enough here to make a film? Well, of course there was. <laughs> we, 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 we tracked the people down. It's a, it's a 30 minute film. And we tracked the original guys that worked at Palatoy down. So we've got the chief toy designer, the, 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 the managing director, you know, the, the, the other designers. We've got the people that worked on the production line. We've got the assembly line workers. And we meet some collectors as well. We kind of leap into Palatoy's story when they were being offered 
Star Wars by Kenner because obviously Kenner got the, the contract the yeah. brilliant job everyone knows what they did there I mean we've all seen it the fabulous documentary The Toy That Made Us and you know you see how they got the Star Wars contract from, from 20th Century Fox and George Lucas had the merchandise right obviously being here in the UK the release date was later for us it was the 27th of December mm-hmm. um, in 77 and it had already been out seven months or eight months or whatever it was in, in the state so I think that you know Palator were a bit concerned that you know, there was no Christmas market there, you know. And as we know, there was the early bird certificate thing in, in America. Yeah. So the figures started coming out in the UK probably about the same time as it did in the States. So it was sort of springtime. But of course, demand was through the roof. So the, so the, the factory that was already doing very well with Action Man and Tiny Tears were going flat out to try and fulfill everyone's wishes. We've got a fabulous interview with a guy called Jeff Maisie, who was the European marketing manager for, for Palatoy. And he said they all went just to the preview screenings of Star Wars and were blown away. But he said it was so difficult. The trade buyers, the retailers, weren't that interested. They, they couldn't see it going because traditionally any toy line connected to a film, you know, if the film does well, great. If the film bombs, well, you're left with all the merchandise. They tended to sort of connect to TV series. So if you've got a, got a, a TV series with longevity, um, people can buy into that. But, of course, you know, people didn't realize just how mad Star Wars was going to go and, and how popular it was going to be. But the guys at Palatoy could see the potential. And so could Alec Guinness, because... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that bit hasn't made our documentary, but there is a bit of that interview with the Michael with Michael Parkinson. And I think, was it two and a quarter percent he got? Something like his? that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a very funny story he tells, but yeah, it's two and a quarter percent, <laughs> which ain't bad, is it? <laughs> and people have learned from that since, because there are oh, people yeah. that say, oh, you're making this on a budget, but if it's successful, to have some of the merchandising rights oh, is... Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... He did incredibly well because of that. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've heard of people saying that Sir Alec wasn't bothered by Star Wars. But I thought, I, from what I've, the things I've seen and read, he, he seemed to be very enthusiastic about it. Um, and certainly in the extended version of the Galaxy Britain built, the set decorator, Roger Christian, tells us on camera, which is in the new version, where he said, you know, he was there, Sir Alex's first day, Sir Alex's first day on, on set, you know, on location in Tunisia. And before they rolled on the cameras, he, he went and took himself off and rolled around in the dirt and the sand to make himself look like all, you know, dusty old hermit, you know. Yeah. He did that, he did that of his own accord. He just went off and rolled around and got into the into the role. Because that, that's one thing about Star Wars. It's a used-looking universe. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that was... That was obviously always George Lucas's vision, hmm. um, but that was very handy when it came to, to actually putting it together because they didn't have any money. So, you know, they bought all the scrap bits of aeroplane and dismantled things and turned that into into very interesting bits at the back of the bar in the you know, the cantina and yeah. and uh, the crashed spaceship outside and and, uh, and and all that kind of stuff. And and obviously, I mean, we, we got wonderful archives um, in Galaxy where John Barry, who sadly died during the filming of The Empire Strikes Back, he was the uh, production designer on Star Wars. And he talks about all these different bits of junk that they got to make things look interesting. They said a part of R2-D2's head is part of a caravel. There's so much work's gone into that engineering for these bits and pieces. Of course, you break it all down, you put it together in some, in some other form. It looks interesting, that kind of worn out look. That's, that's it. That's the beauty of it. And, and that is the beauty of Star Wars in total, because the whole thing was, it was made up. The technology wasn't there, so they invented it. Yeah, exactly. And, and was, I mean, you look at what they did with the, I mean, the incredible talent. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the, the Brits talent, you know, involved with Star Wars, but of course, the incredible talent in America, the guys that, that were creating new types of computers for the, for the special effects. I mm. mean, 
it's mind-blowing really when you think of what they were doing and reinventing everything and i think that's one thing that differs between star wars and any other kind of film is that people don't just love the movies what you see on the screen what happened behind the movie is just as important you're right there's so much still to find out about star wars you you think by now we know it all (laughs) we're still finding out things that oh that happened did it all that happened um i've become very good friends with with some of the guys who i filmed galaxy with i I mean you know if you told a seven-year-old me that i'd be you know having lunch with robert watts and what have you and and having a few drinks or what have you and 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 becoming friends with with these guys i I wouldn't believe you but it's remarkable they come out with stuff and you think really i haven't heard that (laughs) <laughs> Where's that come from? You know? I don't know what it is about Star Wars. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a massive. I mean, I like science fiction, but I wouldn't say I'm a massive science fiction fan. But I think the Star Wars just just transcends everything. I mean, when we interviewed Gary Kurtz, he's sadly no longer with us. Yeah. You know, we've we've, we've dedicated the, the extended edition to, to his memory and John Mollo, the costume designer, who sadly passed away before the original film went out. But uh, you know, Gary was saying that that it was it was a rousing story, and people would when it first came out, people would see it twice in a day. They knew there was an audience from the science fiction camp. You know, you had Charlie Lippincott going around and getting everybody excited at these festivals and what have you, and and you know, people who were into science fiction and, and comic and saying Look, you're really going to love this film. But of course, then it went everywhere, and everyone wanted it, didn't they? I mean, yeah. it's great. I mean, we've got this lovely archive in 1977 or 1978 in London, you know, outside the Dominion, and these elderly women going into what Star Wars. It's brilliant, you know, because everybody enjoys Star Wars. <laughs> the, the thing is with Star Wars is that they kept everything. And there's a lot of films where there isn't any extras. You know when they bring out a special version of it because it's so many years old. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing of it left. But with Star Wars, there's so much that you can go back and have a look at. Oh, uh, exactly. I mean, when, when we interviewed Gareth Edwards in, in LA, and he obviously worked on Rogue One, and him and Colin Gowdy, they met together at the BBC. You know, Colin was the picture editor, and Gareth was the visual effects editor. And he was telling us that, that he went to the archives at Lucasfilm, and uh, they went past all these rolls of film. He said, they said, oh, what's all that there? Oh, that's all the original negatives. Well, all of them. Yeah, it's all of them. Can we have a look? Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> So, of course, they didn't sit there and go all the, the footage that was, wasn't used. They, they used, actually, you obviously know this, in Rogue One, there are a couple of the guys in there who are in the Battle of Yavin, who are in the Battle of Scarif in base over yeah. Scarif. So they went back and found all that stuff and used it and obviously upgraded it and, and did some special wizardry with it. It, it, it. It's as if it was, you know, then the next battle is some of these guys got killed at Yavin. The other thing I, I love about that side of it is the reality because... There are generations of people that worked on that movie, and then now their children are working on the new movies. It's exactly what happened. I mean, this didn't make the cut, unfortunately, but Gareth was saying that uh, one of the assistant directors on Rogue One, his job for a whole day was, you know, you're going to be shouting at X-Wing pilots and what have you, and you're just going to shout, look left, look right, look shocked, whatever, you know, bank left, bank right. (laughs) After Gareth had told him, he said, said, oh, this is so ironic he said, i can't believe this he said this is the exact job my dad had on a new hope <laughs> <laughs> he said he said garrett said it's a bit like a traveling circus around the m25 with all these families that have, you know that they kind of go from movie to movie around the m25 whether it's pinewood or or what have you or shepperton there are generations of these filmmakers who who have always worked in films the other thing is you've got people that they didn't have the biggest parts in the movie but they're some of the most popular people when you go to the conventions. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are really, really popular because you know, everyone wants to know what they did. It's, it is totally amazing. Obviously, you you you, know, you meet these people, you see them, and and they're so humbled by it. But yet, it's like when when we interviewed Robert Watts, and, and people say, you know, you, you gave us our childhood, and you think about it. Well, actually, these people did. I mean, obviously, huge amount of effort went into it. And you think what George Lucas went through to get to that point where he made Star Wars, but. I think what a sadder world it would be without Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> it's given so much joy to so many people and continues to do so today. You know, I know there are some people who have divided opinions over some of the new films or what have you, or the prequels, but people come to Star Wars in different ways, in different different eras. You know, I mean, my kids love the prequels. We sit and watch the prequels. You watch it through their eyes and they're kids' films. You know, they're fun. To see kids in the, the costumes and things and you think they love it i mean they, they absolutely love it i mean i'm, I'm going to a, a midnight screening as you would expect and then <laughs> and then i'm taking my kids the fall that morning so i forget about three or four in the morning then that morning i'm taking them to see it because you know this is this is the end of an era isn't it i know we've got the mandalorian and we've got the other one and everything coming out and all these other things but but this is the end of something that started in well, I know it came out in 77, but it started well before that. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, with all the pre-planning and everything, you know, in the 70s, you know, something's been in the making for 50 years, almost. Ladies and gentlemen, you know it, you love it, you can't live without it. This is TGP Normal. Nominal. Damn. I was going to ask you how you got involved with this, but you've always been involved <laughs> with this. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, Mark. I mean, my, my day job is I present a TV show called Inside Out on BBC One in the east of England, and I'm also a producer. You know, I present the regional news sometimes, and I do a radio show, and I've, I've always been a fan of Star Wars, and it, and it just it just hit me. I think it was February 2016. I'd been in London. And I was coming back from a shoot, and I saw that Mark Hamill was doing a talk for the student union in Cambridge, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to get him? to do an interview and I, I think he agreed to it and then and then other forces got involved but anyway uh, I then thought well, I'll go to the official channels and I started working on it and, I, and it, it kind of snowballed it started off as it was going to be like a 10 minute film then a half hour and then an hour and it just got kind of grew and grew and grew and people started putting money in it from different parts of the BBC that's the way it works and then yeah it became this this beast to make a Star Wars documentary well make two you know it's like wow I mean to do that on a professional level is is just incredible I, i'm not going to say it's been easy and it's been a wonderful experience a wonderful privilege to do that and to to get the stories out there because it's, it's like the people you speak to you know these these unsung heroes who who are in the costumes they don't ha ever have a voice they have that story told and i and i thought you know there's so much talent there was a guy i spoke to uh he was a, a props master for a lot of the the movies that were filmed at elstree yeah and he has got pages and pages of memorabilia and you know, cool sheets and all that kind of stuff oh, yeah. and yeah. he brings them to conventions and shows people them and I said you really should put this stuff in a book because mm. it's amazing to see yeah because that's the stuff that all went in the bin even with Star Wars I mean a lot of the costumes just sort of it's got tipped in the skin people picked it up and took it home mm -hmm. Robert Watts tells a story about he had a TIE fighter pilot helmet that he gave to his kids to play with <laughs> you know? and he thinks it's worth the fortune now but at the time, it was just another prop that got disposed of. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's mad, really, when you think. And yet there's still more stuff to find. I mean, as part of our Toy Empire film, we filmed a prop store. You know, the guys just north of London. We filmed their very first UK vintage toy auction. Mm -hmm. The props they've got out there, just unreal. I mean, you saw John Hurt's costume from, you know, his spacesuit from Alien. And, and, then, and then, oh, that's a, that's a jube back. That was in someone's uh, garage. What? 
Oh, someone get up. You know, and they've got all these spacesuits from different movies and, and you know, aliens and, and all. And there's, there's a pulse rifle from aliens. And then there's, there's this helmet from Star Wars and whatever. It's just huge. It's just incredible. And, and a lot of these places would, would get rid of it because they didn't store it. They thought the film's over. We'll remake it if we have to. You know, that's it, all done. Whereas actually to own part of that movie history is something very special. It's like now where everything is pretty much 3D printed or whatnot. Yeah. And you've got the, the guys at the uh, the R2-D2 Builders Club who mm. were part of making the new movies. Yeah, um, exactly, because because that expertise is invaluable. And Gareth told me when they, when they, 3, they 3D printed Vader's helmet for Rogue One, and they said it didn't look right because initially it had been molded by hand. Mm-hmm. There were thumbprints in there. Not that you could see them on camera. They said they, they printed it absolutely perfectly to the right specifications. And they, he said, you looked at it and it wasn't Vader. It didn't look right. So they then had to, they redid it with, with sort of thumbprints in and re-sculpted it because it had to have that kind of organic feel as opposed to something that's come out of a 3D printer. And uh, that was one of my, of last year, year before, one of my favourite interviews was actually Spencer Wilding, who actually played Vader in Rogue yeah, One. Yeah, yeah, wow, um, yeah. He's an amazing guy, absolutely amazing guy. And what a scene, I mean, what a scene. Everyone remembers Rogue One for that scene. Yeah. I mean, that was a, and I was told that was a last-minute thing as well. Mm. To do that and put Vader in that whole scene is just breathtaking. And Spencer is actually exactly the same build as Dave Prowse was when he filmed his scenes. Really? Yeah. Really? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I know that. Um, I know they they certainly had fun cutting it because uh, yeah, to, to, to edit that scene and to say you edited a you know a scene with Darth Vader in. And I remember Gareth telling me when they got James Earl Jones into the sound booth, it's just like whoa, you know, there's Darth Vader. Yeah, it's, you just hear that voice and. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I mean, you know, the thing I like about the fact that someone like Gareth directed a Star Wars movie is because, I mean, a lot of people that direct them are fans, but he is a real fan, isn't he? And he's a real fan. He loves Star Wars and he wanted to get it right. Everything absolute, had to be absolutely 100%. I mean, that he said to me, you know, if you had sideburns and you're in the London area in 2015, you were guaranteed a <laughs> job on Rogue One because you look like you're from the 70s. So everything, I feel like 70s moustaches and stuff, didn't they? So it had that feel about it, you know, that, so it was of that era. To this day, the people that make these movies want to come to the UK to do it because the UK are so great at what they do. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's, it's the talent here is, is unbelievable. Gareth said there's a certainly a um, how did you put it he said something about the British personality he said it, it shouldn't matter but it does and he said nothing's ever too much trouble and uh, they'll go yeah, yeah I can sort that out I can sort that out no problem no problem and he'll say no you can say no you can say no and they say no no, no let, let me get back to you let me get back I'll, I'll, let's see what I can do and, and I think there's that sense of pride I think um, and, and you think all the movies that are made here you know, if you look back, you know, all these big, the blockbusters, you know, like a lot of Indiana Jones, you know, you've got um, Aliens, Alien, um, uh, Star Wars films, James Bond, yeah. you know, now you've got Harry Potter, you know, all these movies that come out of this country. And you, you can't quite believe it, really. You go to Soho and all these post-production houses, they're all cutting the latest movies. Mm-hmm. You know, buying, you know, quietly buying closed doors. I don't think it's just that it's a British mentality of, oh, we can do this, don't worry about it. If somebody came to you and said, right, we're, we need something for Star Wars, that would be like, right, we'll do it. It's, yeah, of course. Uh, that's <laughs> it's a no-brainer. Yeah, let me think about that. Of course you're going to do it. <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars, no, I'm not interested. I'll pass on that, thanks. 
No, of course you do. You're gonna you're gonna say yes, of course. In fact, don't ask me ever again. Definitely, hundred percent. Do it now. You know, you're not gonna say no, are you? It's the, the funny thing I find um, when I've been talking to certain people. Obviously, if it's uh, a new film that's coming out, they they can't talk about it because they've been embargoed. They can't they can't say anything. They've written the, exactly. Yeah, they got an NDA and all that yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But there's one guy I, I I won't I won't say his name. But if I say what I'm going to say, he's going to know anyway because he'll re- he'll remember it. He's a creature actor. Oh yeah, and. Um, he could tell me the different movies that he's been in, but there was one film that he couldn't tell me that he was in. And I said to him, is it Star Wars? I, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> I think and, I know who you mean. <laughs> and he was wearing a hoodie that actually said, uh, Episode 7 Creature Workshop or whatever, on well, the front of it. <laughs> yeah, you didn't, you didn't have to do too much detective work there, Mark, did you? Not to really. Uh, you, hang on, let me, let me just guess. Star Trek? No, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the new Mary Poppins. Yeah, no, you wear, you're wearing a hoodie with that on. You're pretty much giving it away, aren't you? But yeah, I, 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 I imagine working on them and you couldn't you couldn't say anything to anybody. And the thing I, I've also found is even when the movies come out, a lot of these small part actors are not sure whether they can still say anything, yeah, even though the yeah. movie's been released. Yeah, exactly, because they still feel they have to they have to keep a lid on it. I suppose yeah. they've they got those NDAs and everything. Tell you what, it, it, I think I think for me, it's going to feel very emotional getting to the 16th of December, which is when our docs go out, and then obviously that week as well, the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, because the schedulers they wanted to put it out this uh, next week, and I said, look, if you put it, wait till the week after, a the elections out of the way, <laughs> and b. You've got, you've got the Rise of Skywalker coming out that week. So that you know, Monday night, no one goes out Monday night, it's 9 o'clock till 11 o'clock Monday night, the 16th on BBC4, two Star Wars documentaries, and then that week the release of the Rise of Skywalker, where we'll all be crying together in crumpled heaps, 40-somethings who, who've grown up with it, 50-something, yeah. whatever, you know, going, oh, no. Just seeing um, that teaser, the teaser oh, trailer, um, no, when C-3PO says, I, I want to see my friends for the last time, yeah, and I just—that was it. I cried it. at that point. I, oh, I did. I mean, I, I cried. <laughs> I, I just—I thought, hang on. I, always, I mean, to me, I—I I do, I do like C three PO, but I've always seen him as a bit of a minor character. But there's storytelling, and they've always—he's been in all of them, mm-hmm. and he—and he's a part of the furniture. And you think, what? What? What's he doing? Why is he hooked up to this thing? Was he going to sacrifice himself to save it? What's going on? And you think, yeah, this really is. This is it. This is the end. Just hearing that music on that trailer just gets you. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of it now, and it's just so powerful. The story just resonates with everyone, doesn't it? However you've come into Star Wars, whether it's been a, an animated series, whether it's been the, you know, the, the, the original trilogy, the prequels, the, the sequel trilogy, the, the stories, I think, just transcend a lot of people. And I think also that um, seeing Carrie Fisher for the last oh, time yeah, will yeah, yeah. there won't be a dry eye in the house well when I saw Last Jedi in the cinema a couple, when did it was it two years ago two, two years, years ago. yeah uh, yeah wow and and her name came up and they changed the tone of the music and it was her theme oh wow it's so clever how they did that mm. and of course everyone sort of um, very emotional and part of our lives forever and because uh, I've been buried in these projects which have been great fun but also you know lots of work as well I haven't really given it much thought that it's coming up and I'm going with my friend who I, I've made these docs with I will be like oh wow we've done it We've done our documentaries, and then we've seen the end of the Skywalker story. Did you say there was going to be a book as well? It's out now. I wrote it ages ago, and I kind of, I didn't forget about it, but I, 
<laughs> well, I did forget about it to a degree. Bear Manor Media in America wanted to publish it, and they've been very helpful, very supportive. They, they specialize in film and TV books. I've never written a book before, and I thought, I'll oh, give it a go. So uh, I wrote a book, and uh, it is just this minute coming out just this minute coming up but I haven't, haven't even had a chance to talk about it because I've been so busy with everything else it is on Amazon now and Robert Watts has written the forward for it and there's some lovely pictures in there stuff that people haven't seen before like when Robert had Harrison Ford Carrie Fisher Mark Hamill Anthony Daniels over for Sunday lunch during the heat wave in 76 <laughs> and they're all standing outside his house and then there's a picture of Carrie Fisher at the dinner table and then I think it was I think, was it Mark Hamill? I think it was Mark um, who instigated a water fight with the kids in the garden afterwards. But his kids wow. were just, you know, these guys are great. So there they were away from home. They reckon they never had Yorkshire puddings or, or big roast beef or certainly not Yorkshire puddings. So they had, a, they had a Sunday lunch. And there's all these little stories that are in there that are just, they're just nice little tales of, of what happened. So I did a lot more interviews. I went back and emailed people, Skyped people, phoned people, went to see people to build their relationship up with them. And um, yeah, from those interviews that I did subsequently, I turned it into a, a little book. And it's the same title, is it? The Galaxy Britain Built, The British Talent Behind Star Wars. Excellent. I had to think then, how sad is that? I had to think. <laughs> <laughs> I had to think what the book was called. It is out now. I will definitely have to check that out. Thank you. I think the hardback comes out in the new year. The paperback is out now and the Kindle version is out now. David, what's next for you? Rest, sleep. Never to talk about Star Wars ever again. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Definitely taking two weeks off at Christmas, something I never normally do, but I'm going to this year. So I haven't, I haven't actually had a day off work since August. I'm going to take a long chunk of time off then. And I've got a new series of Inside Out starting on January the 20th, BBC One in the East. So I shall be working on that when I get back. I've got a few new shifts to, to do. I have got a few ideas up my sleeve for film-related documentaries. So I'm hoping that after these do okay hopefully do okay um i can then go back to the powers that be at bbc arts and bbc4 and say look i've got a few more behind the scenes stories that we can tell of other other movies other things that have sprung to mind so i'm, I'm hoping that once the dust settles on these two mark then i can <laughs> i can pitch some more stuff then we'll see 2020 well, i i'm not sure i could do i would do two concurrently <laughs> i think that was probably a bit ambitious to make two hours of network television at one go but um at one at a time well, David, it's been absolutely fabulous talking with you. Oh, and you. I've, I've really enjoyed this, Mark. It's been really lovely. Thank you so much. It's been, it's been so lovely to speak to you. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, once again, thank you, David, for coming on the show. It was brilliant talking with you. You are the ultimate Star Wars super fan. You, you can't get any more of a super fan with a birthday like May the 4th. 
1977. That just says it all, really. So you were born into this universe. So Toy Empire goes out on BBC4 at 9 o'clock on the 16th of December. And the galaxy that Breton built is straight after it. So it's a whole two hours of Star Wars programming on the BBC. And don't forget, if you miss the actual show when it goes out live, there are links to the BBC iPlayer so you can watch it whenever you want on the show notes, along with some information about Star Wars, Elstree Studios, and a bit more about David Whiteley himself. Don't forget to tune in to our Garbage Pod Stroke TGP Nominal Christmas Crossover, which should be coming out on Christmas Eve. Well, that leaves me with one thing left to say, and that is, thanks for listening, take care one and all, and I'll speak to you all again real soon. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.